Hello, and welcome to another edition of Q2Q Cast's special series, Why It Didn't, where I, Colin, Squidlegs on Instagram, and producer of the film festival, along with my co-producers, talks to you about a film that, for me, may or may not be enjoyable, but in general, doesn't work. Or at least it didn't in some regard. Today, I will be talking about Die Another Day. We're going to be doing an audio commentary for the entire film, and I'm going to just talk about the different elements that compose all of the filmmakers' choices and what brings them together, why some of them are better or worse than others. I will say that as a major fan of the Pierce Brosnan legacy, I I love this movie for what it is, and yet I don't love it. I I it's 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 a relative of yours who hasn't impressed you with what they do the choices that they make but you still love them because they're a part of something bigger and you're called to it and I as a huge huge Bond fan can't ever say that I don't like a Bond movie there are Bond movies that I think are better than others and this is one that I would say is a weak spot. I think that the other Brosnan movies don't get the love that they deserve. I believe GoldenEye is really the only one that's truly respected, but I love Tomorrow Never Dies and I love The World Is Not Enough. I think that Pierce Brosnan also gets overlooked when people compare James Bonds. And for all its mistakes, Die Another Day is still incredibly watchable. There are, there are moments that will take you out of it, but if you'll have me in my, you'll see why I'm fully bearded and totally brosnaned out. He, he doesn't wear a beanie, but he wears a blue shirt similar to what I'm wearing currently um, for a pivotal early scene. So I've decided to channel him for this. So hopefully I um, can carry you with me through this journey. If you have seen the movie before, that's wonderful. That's how I recommend enjoying this commentary is by watching it first. And if you choose to watch along, making sure that you, um, you know, you have that frame of reference. If you are listening with this commentary, the first time that you watch the film, there there's part of the experience that you're gonna be missing out on. But um, I'll turn the music down pretty low let me actually do that now because I want you to be able to find where the film is, but obviously I can't have the movie going full blast and you know what? So uh, I'm going to do a countdown. I have to scoot on over to the computer and do it from there. So I'm going to be a little bit at a distance. So prep yourself. All right. Here we go in 007, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, play.
Right now it's at five seconds. The lion has just roared. And the classic James Bond theme is playing at present. So I'm gonna go ahead and say, as I put it to 007 volume, very low, I know. I think one of the problems of this movie is clear already. There is too much CG, and it's not one of those CG's never good, so you can't use it. It's misused. One of the things that is synonymous with Bond are things like this, where it's a really cool stunt, a really cool setting executed together. It may or may not be the actors portraying them. I mean, Roger Moore had no interest in doing a single stunt during his tenure as Bond. I'm sure he did, but it's not about that. It's about seeing something that feels real. And why did they feel the need to put a CG bullet shooting through the, the, the actual, I think it's a photograph from the inside of a gun barrel. Why? why? It also represents in a strange way a misunderstanding of what Bond even is. I mean, he's he's not shooting through the gun barrel. <laughs> he's shooting the person that's training the gun on him. That's the whole point. So it's already just very clear that they want to do things that are cool without thinking about whether or not they work. And I think that's probably where they mostly um, took a misstep. Now, I think that the the surfing in general was not, I mean, it's, oh my God, so beautifully shot. But once again, just because you can do surfing, that looks in impressive as all fucking hell. Maybe you shouldn't do it if it makes no sense for the story. Why would James Bond and these other two agents be surfboarding in? First of all, it's North Korea. Second of all, if regardless of where it is surfing is the opposite of incognito you are drawing attention to yourself by capturing the largest wave by being the most flashy you you've seen things in other bond films that would have made way more sense if it was an approach from the ocean think about the spy who loved me and all of the underwater scenes in that film there was a frickin' car that drove underwater. So, especially because it's been done before in a more cohesive and clear way, he shouldn't have done it the way that he did it. I think that pretty much everything after that is just fine. Bond sneaking onto an island with two other agents. It's a very military start for Bond, but that was, I think, a thing in in these 90s films, if you think about Tomorrow Never Dies, we had the terrorist organization and it was bombastic action. I mean, there's been action in the openings of Bond before, but sometimes they involve more um, spectacle or fantasy, or maybe he's with a woman, or maybe there's a, a, some, some kind of attack on an organization or a foiling of a plot, but um, or an assassination, yes, for sure. But 
the large scale military battle usually was kept until the climaxes of the films in in some of the Moors and and Connery's. Um, Connery's specifically thinking about You Only Live Twice, and then we've already mentioned The Spy Who Loved Me, but it ha it's happened in a few other films too. But um, here we have Will Yoon Lee. He's a fabulous actor. I think that he's, it's a real shame that you don't get more of him. I think that if you strip it down, you have quite a good setup. You've got Bond entering into enemy territory, posing as this other man, and you have a couple of baddies, and one in particular, again, William Lee, talented martial artist, and a great presence on screen, and a, and a different kind of villain than we've seen. He's a his personality is very boyish. He's he's rough around the edges and a little pretentious and a little bit honestly spoiled. And and I think that's a, a cool thing for someone with this much power. And it could have just played out with this being the setup. And we'll talk about when it takes a turn later, but um I just think that in general, Moon, no pun intended, we should have kept things closer to Earth. You know, there's a plot with a satellite that shoots a laser beam in the sky. And ultimately, <laughs> once again, the movie is representing itself symbolically, representing all of its problems, because we got farther and farther away from what was good about the film. And as we did, we lost some of that Bond magic. Here we have some hovercrafts, and I think that the mise-en-scene is pretty effective. We've got some dust overturns. It's very cold, it's dark, it's monochromatic, it's interesting color correction. I think that they're going for starkness here and making things feel very tense and it's working. I will say that some of the lines of dialogue are a little overwritten. So for example, don't don't blow it all at once is is a little too on the nose. You know, could have been, and 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 in general, once again, no pun intended. Things like that, shocking, positively shocking, from Goldfinger, they were reserved for after Bond thwarted one of his enemies in some comical or impressive way. Sometimes both, but it, it um. The problem is that in that moment, what you want to feel is that Bond is doing everything in his power to stay undercover. And I love that we see in, you know, for example, Thunderball, when Bond is at the table playing against Largo, he's saying, it's your specter against mine. He's, he's specifically goading Largo because in that moment, 
Largo couldn't do anything. They're in public, they're at a casino, and it's a challenge and Bond is being really aggressive and assertive and establishing his dominance and he's challenging the way that he would do with Goldfinger on the golf course, you know. I think that when being undercover is more important, like in this scenario, mistakes are a little bit higher. Um, when you're surrounded by 500 men with guns, you have to justify these one-offs a little more. And again, it just makes the tension diffused a little bit. Also, in that moment, I'm not sure why they let 007 put his hands down like that. It feels inauthentic since they're, I mean, look at that. They're all very clearly ready to just fucking shoot him. So why wouldn't they have just shot him immediately as he dropped his hands? But I suppose that's being petty. All this stuff is not totally bad. It's the editing is a little bit chaotic and I know that we are supposed to feel that. I mean, that's supposed to infuse our tension and our sense of boom, 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 boom. You know, it makes the film seem more kinetic. But if you think about, for example, the opening of Octopussy, where Bond steals a jet and is being attacked by a missile, it has to really avoid the missile. Or even Tomorrow Never Dies. When, again, they're in a plane and they're sort of doing a dog, not, that's not a dog fight, but um, he's he has a man in the back seat choking him and a man behind him is shooting him. Maybe that's, I'm not well versed in air combat tactics or terminology, so I don't know if that's technically called a dog fight. So don't quote me on that, but you have the momentum of the planes in both scenarios actually driving the action. So you have to think about what your vehicles are, what, what, they're, what the vehicles you're using for your chase sequence carry with them. Cars, motorcycles, jets, all of these things super fast. Speedboats, super fast. I think that one of the reasons the editing is so choppy, even though these are very impressive machines, they're not fast machines. You know, I don't, I don't think in any way that the hovercraft is a fast enough machine for the kind of chase that I think they wanted to shoot. I think you could do a more tactical chase where, for example, like in, the last crusade where it's one, it's one tank they could have done something similar here where it's what's happening on the hovercraft and around the hovercraft as opposed to the hovercrafts themselves building the tension um and something a little more um well choreographed than for example just having and more creative than having just bond and and see that's why that fight couldn't go on for very long because you have so few options on such a small hovercraft where it's either attack each other and one of you falls off 
or attack each other and one of you kills the other. But you don't get a lot of, you know, for example, space to fill in those interesting gaps and, and really build that chase so that we start to wonder if Bond's going to catch this person, like in Casino Royale, where so much time is developed to uh, Daniel Craig chasing, I think his name is Sebastian Fienke. Uh Sebastian, pardon me if I got your name wrong, but that famous free runner. And something like this hovercraft chase is one, I mean, this movie keeps proving its, its lack of understanding of its own identity. A lot of people were saying at this time that Pierce was too old to play Bond, and I disagree. I disagree, but like a hovercraft, when your actor is Pierce Brosnan's age, you have to think about building the movie around them. I mean, think about Taken with Liam Neeson. He wasn't a spring chicken. He was an old, I mean, but he was not a Chris Evans in Fantastic Four. You know, he was, he had to be tailored to. And I was glad that he was because it meant that we got that wonderful performance and they just got creative about the action that was on set. And I think they could have done that with this. I mean, I, I will admit that, you know, I'm a, I'm a proud queer man in my own way. I like this song because Madonna is fierce. Absolutely. But it's also wrong for the movie. And the problem is, is that what's the perspective of the song? If you think about the best Bond songs, there's Omniscience, where it's calling upon a major theme in the movie, like Live and Let Die. Or it could be a perspective song, like Garbage's The World Is Not Enough, where it's very clearly Electra's voice. Or Casino Royale, You Know My Name, that's very clearly Daniel Craig's Bond. Also a bit of the theming. R.I.P. Um, uh, oh my god. I say R.I.P. Um, Chris Isaac, pardon me. I'm having a senior moment. I'm not even sure that that's his name. He's a great musician. And I had a crush on him for a little while, but I can't, for some reason I can't confirm let me actually look that up because it would seem really disrespectful um cornell i you know what i i literally <laughs> typed in you and um and i and i got it from that you know that's all i needed um you know you know my name yeah chris cornell so chris isaac is Fuck, I'm gonna mess this up too. I think he's, you did a bad, bad thing. You did a bad, bad thing. Boom, boom, boom. Chris, I'm, I have to look that up. Um, but that's of course a wonderful song that was featured in Eyes Wide Shut. Ah, I have to know. Bad, bad thing. Yes, okay, that is Chris Isaac. <laughs> 
a lot of Chris's. We just referenced Chris Evans on the on the pod a little bit ago. I think that it's obviously it's a thing right now. Like how many Chris's are the most famous people in Hollywood? Chris Pratt's freaking Mario. Anyway, so I also think that there's a bit of a blurry effect. I don't know if it was just at the time, but the diamonds coming at you in, in all of these ways, it, it feels very filter, which is why it's not cool. Anything that you can click on a computer and say, all right, here's the diamond shimmer effect, just over footage that we've put together. That's not that impressive. The The girls look pretty cool, the fire ice ladies, but that's about it. And and I, I get this, the scorpion thing. It's an all right motif, but it doesn't pay off anywhere other than one line of dialogue. I think it would have been a little cooler if, for example, Moon used scorpions later or had a scorpion thing. You know, um, that's one of the reasons that the opening credits of Skyfall are so great. Yes, Adele's. Excuse me. Yes, Adele's song is fucking perfect. But it's also that the title sequence tells a story. It takes you through this kind of fever dream alternate reality. You're going through death's door and coming back to the light and learning about Bond's past and seeing what he would see if he were drowning and, and you get all that with just a series of images put together in a stylish way and I don't think that there's not there's nothing to track with the Madonna title sequence and and going back to my ideas of perspective who is speaking you know, is it for your eyes only and it's Melina-esque? I don't know. Also, what do the lyrics mean? They they don't have any connection with the the movie. It's not telling you about anything. It's not the man with the golden gun telling you exactly, really on the nose, what the man with the golden gun is all about, the Scaramanga man himself. I do think that this actor is really, really good. The one playing the Colonel. Again, I just, I think that the setup is great. Yeah, I have a beanie on. I My hair is not anywhere near long enough to be close to Pierce's right now. <laughs> and actually, I think my beard is, actually, it's nearly exactly the same. Or, or maybe I'm just desperately, desperately wanting to look like Pierce Brosnan for at at any juncture, but um I was wondering if mine looked even more unkempt than his. Hard to tell. Mine like juts out to the side. I don't know if that's just the way that I dried it, but um yeah, I I I think that this is the good this is the movie that Pierce Brosnan wanted to make right here is getting betrayed and having great actors to play off of and dive into the grit and grime of Bond's job. 
And unfortunately, that's the only scene of it that we get because that tone is never struck again um, once he passes this bridge here, which is unfortunate. So one thing about this bridge sequence that bothers me, I think that Moon was the only villain of substance in the first section. I mean, even this, his dad has had more screen significance than the character we're about to see. And yet at this present moment, only by association is this person important. And it doesn't feel like when you get to Blofeld's prison in No Time to Die and you go, oh yeah, here's Blofeld. We've spent, uh, you know, two movies, one, well, one full movie with him, building up to him at least. And then this movie, when we return him, we go, oh, association, you know? Same with taking it out of Bond's universe for a bit and visiting Gotham City. Think about the Dark Knight and the interrogation scene. If there was nothing built up for the Joker, that scene, yes, would still be very good. I mean, you cannot deny that that's a flawlessly written, flawlessly themed and acted, paced, performed, shot. It's perfect. But... I would also say that it's more impactful because we've seen what the Joker can do. Zhao, we haven't seen at all. I'm not threatened by Zhao. I don't care about him. All I've seen him do is shoot a gun off screen, well, towards off screen. And he doesn't even have a significant fight with Bond because that was with Moon. At any rate, know what's been set up and what hasn't been set up. Because if you score the whole movie, shoot the whole movie, even if it's for a single scene, like something for that scene has been set up, we're going to feel the absence of it. Once again, I think this is one of the better scenes because it's more connected to what Brosnan wanted to do. This stuff is pretty good, I think. And it feels tonally significant because we've seen him in past movies before. And she's always been stern with Bond. She's been severe with Bond. She's, you know, taking him down a peg. But she's never been this cold. There's a dramatic shift. So you're setting up, this is Bond's world, but it's starker, it's colder. And you've got the great motif of Miranda Frost, a character we'll meet later, and the Ice Palace, but it doesn't carry the tone, the motifs are there, it just melts away. Because the movie gets kind of distracted by these other things. This movie could have been a real segue into the Daniel Craig era. It didn't ultimately need to be. Casino Royale came and went, but it, it was a response to a goofier Bond, which this one is. And I wonder how, if they would have gone as realistic with Casino Royale, if this movie had been a little grittier than it, than it ultimately ended up being. 
this also would have been more interesting if they had played into it where Bond is not sure. Well, he seems sure, but there's the question that floats out there of is Bond still an asset? What happened in that prison that has altered the character that we've come to know over three previous films? Is this the end of Bond? And I think that as people were asking that about Pierce already, it would have been great to lean into that just a little bit more. And maybe throughout having Pierce's Bond go back to his roots, honestly, and do less with the gadgets. You could write that, yeah, you have access to all these gadgets when you're working for Her Majesty, but you wouldn't if you got fired, essentially, or put on leave. And I don't know. I, I, I don't think that I don't think that it's inherently wrong to make Bond go rogue, especially because we've had three solid, I think you need that, like several adventures with this Bond, with this actor. And after you've spent a lot of time seeing him on the job, so to speak, <laughs> you can take that away from him. And I think we could have, I really think we could have. And this is one of the few times I would have said, yes, absolutely. Yeah, let's let's do something absolutely different. And I think that's what Brosnan wanted to do. He really wanted a gritty bond. I think there's something very dated about these flashbacks, by the way. And and very similar to the editing that we saw of the Madonna video. It's it's music video, it's early 2000s, it's you know, overlays which depending on the stakes in my opinion, rarely work. And I don't think this works because, first of all, it's unclear what even happened. Did he slow his heart? What I, I, I don't know. If this is something that he did when he was in prison, if we saw that, it might work, but it's unclear. And I also think that there's no tension when it comes to, is Bond going to die? I, if that's the only question, I think it, it can be thrilling, like with the crocodiles in Live and Let Die, you go, ooh, I, I mean, I know he's going to get out of it, but I, I kind of want to see, you know, because it's just a, a crazy enough premise. But the only times in a Bond film that there are real stakes, in my opinion, is when there's another character's life, you know, at jeopardy, or if the mission is at stake. I mean, in, in Mission Impossible gets this, I mean... I just described the success of the, in, the entire Ethan Hunt quadrilogy. I, I don't know how many there are at this point, but the, all the Mission Impossible movies are great in their own way because they never lose sight of stakes and what the stakes actually are. And it's not, is Tom Cruise going to die? But rarely. I mean, eventually, the only time you can really ask that is at a certain point, um, depending on the stakes of the character. And I think that with Bond, so rarely are we do we think he's going to die? And even when he does, it doesn't feel like he dies. And let me explain, because it's, it's like the world ending stakes and why sometimes they don't feel as threatening as 
this entire floor, like a floor in a building of people could die, like in Die Hard. That's so effective because it's related to news that we see. It's related to uh, things that our brains can comprehend um, because, you know, we live in that reality. And yes, the sun can blow up and we can all die tomorrow. Yes, we don't live with that, generally speaking, every day. So whenever you have a movie like this, I think it's best to bring the stakes down to earth. That's the whole thing. I, I want Die Another Day to land, if you haven't gathered already in my mad ramblings. But when, when Bond is such an important character, you can literally kill him in a movie and it'd be very impactful in the sense of I'm watching this experience, this one contained story, and it's effective. On some level, you register that it's all going to be okay. Because even if that Bond doesn't come back, another Bond's going to take his place. And you just know it. Because it's James Bond versus Ethan Hunt. Think a little more expendable. Because I don't think the Ethan Hunt character is as a character so important. What he can do is, the actor attached to him is, you can't just replicate Tom Cruise, but with but James Bond is an icon in a way that I don't think Ethan Hunt is. Um, with so many other things, style, cultural appeal, um, sexuality, elegance, all these things, spy, personalities, parodies, satire. I mean, Bond is everywhere. So it's just a little bit of a different thing. So I think that, you know, No Time to Die killed off Bond, of course, which is a spoiler, I guess. Whoopsie. I'll, I'll try to remember to put that in the show notes. If I didn't, you can just email me and tell me what an idiot I am, I guess. But it worked for the film because you weren't emotional about Bond dying. You were emotional that Daniel Craig's not gonna play the role anymore because he was doing such a good job. So it worked because everything in the movie was structured around, we're gonna get to that place where we're gonna say goodbye to Daniel Craig. And he even said that, he didn't say he was gonna die. But he did say that in interviews, this is absolutely my last one. And yes, nearly every Bond, I think pretty much every Bond has said that before and it not been true, save one. Um, with, not Timothy Dalton, George Lazenby, pardon me. But, but still, it felt significant because it was his departure. So when Bond gets blown up at the end, you're saying goodbye to Daniel Craig more so than you're saying goodbye to Bond. And the only reason I went on that rant is to explain that there are times where it can work. You just have to um, build to that place for a good fucking deal. And woo, there are a lot of things that have to be in place to make it work. So I don't think, 
also at that moment when Pierce Brosnan is on the table, it's it's all about runtime. Our brains are thinking about these things. Pierce Brosnan has only been in the movie for 25 minutes, however long that was. I'm not a great judge of, of time. We know on some level he's <laughs> there's more movie and it's not going to be a, a psycho situation. It's not it's not a Christopher Nolan, Bindi, Wendy, Cindy. You know, it's not, <laughs> we're not going to get a whole new actor. It's not going to be James Bond, die another day. And 20 minutes in, we kill him off. No. Also, Bonds are, the Bond films are marketed within an inch of their life. So we've seen more footage of Bond in a nice in level, nice <laughs> level. I'm talking about it like it's a video game. A nice arena. You've got other actors that you know you haven't seen that are probably going to be interacting with Bond. You've seen them in the cast lists and the trailer. So, yeah, just it's just pretty apparent that that scene was tensionless, I guess. And there's a lot of things in this movie that are tensionless because right now, think about even what he's talking about. Zhao has no interest in other people's freedom. He's talking about him like he's Blofeld. I think the whole use of Zhao is really the biggest detractor because the simple premise, nothing is truly not working. It's its pretty much the movie I, I, I think Brosnan wanted to make for this first half, right before he gets to the clinic. <laughs> but anyway, he's, I mean, it's a simple premise. He's tracking down a terrorist. He's trying to clear his name, get back to work. All of that's great. He's using resources that he's had as an agent, but he's he doesn't have as many gadgets. I mean, it's pretty much fulfilling every all my wishes up to this point. But referencing the Dark Knight again, you know Batman has to catch the fucking Joker because you've seen what the Joker can do. The Joker takes important things away. He kills key characters. And when he doesn't kill key characters, he kills random characters, not random, but, you know, characters that don't have significance to us in a way that is significant. So Zhao has done none of those things. He's just a henchman at this point. So it just, it doesn't feel like we're behind Bond other than just liking his character. And that's not enough. We have to care about what he's doing. And also there's no threat. There seems to be no threat because there, it's not clear what these, what the problem would be moving forward at this present time. So what I mean is things that have happened in the past are bad. Agents were killed. Zhao is free. But in, yes, I mean, Zhao is a criminal, but there's no thing that Zhao is trying to do. Like in the world's not enough, Renard is, well, before we know that he's another spoiler, ladies and gentlemen, in league with Electra. We think he's trying to kill Electra. So there's there's a forward momentum problem that Bond has to actually get his ass into gear to stop. What is Zhao gonna do? We don't know what I mean. He did a thing in the past. What's he going to do? You know, it, in all the other Brosnan films, there's just a 
greater sense of stakes, protecting Electra, solving the mystery. That's the world's not enough. In Tomorrow Never Dies, you've got a war is brewing. Something bad has happened. And yeah, a bunch of British sailors were killed. And a war could fucking start. There's active plans to start a war. Gotta stop Carver. It's not just, oh, Carver, you did a bad thing and let me arrest you. That's Bond, because Bond is not a policeman. He's a secret agent. He has to stop things that are going to happen. He's an assassin, sure. He's a detective, sure. I guess I'm thinking about Dr. No when he said, Mr. Bond, you're just a stupid policeman. <laughs> but we know that that's not his entire function. And plus, that was a, a, a maniac upon a maniac saying that. But um, so, yeah, I just think it, and then, and there's, and Goldeneye, it's very, very, very clear that we've got, there's an attack and you have to, you have to figure it out, figure out why the planes, or excuse me, why the, um, the satellites got destroyed at Severnaya, where the Goldeneye is. You have to get the Goldeneye back. That could happen again. Big, huge, huge fucking bomb. At this point, Zhao doesn't have, there's no bomb. There's no impending war. There's nothing. It's just a man that did something to Bond, who's done vaguely bad things. It's not even like at the beginning of The Dark Knight Rises, where you're like, oh my God, Bane. You wouldn't even have to see him do something else to be like, fucking catch him. Batman villains function a lot like that. I mean, and and hopefully it's like the Joker, where you feel like there's another threat, but... Um, but Batman stories are structured very differently than James Bond's in general. So here we have Halle Berry talking to Pierce Brosnan. And I think this is another problem with the film. It's too much like Austin Powers. Austin Powers was an event. I don't know who listening has seen it, but I was right around the age where you're trying to watch dirty shit. And that was one of the movies that I remember my sister's friends were watching and I snuck out of my room to go into the dining room, which was like diagonal far away from the living room. I, I remember I watched several movies that way. Uh, and I feel bad about that now because I'm sure my parents figured that out and stopped watching things like Eyes Wide Shut, for example, May or may not have snuck in for that one. Anywho, the reason being is that there's, it's just a little tonally askew. It's a little too aware of itself. And, and that's a problem with the movie too. It's the whole reason that they're structuring the things um, or, or uh, designing sequences the way that they are. And, and I only know this well, I don't only know it because I've seen the behind the scenes features, but it was, it's very apparent. If you're a fan of Bond, you go, oh, this is the, that's the scene that references this. Oh, that's the scene that references this. I mean, every now and then the Bond movies will reference themselves, but that's generally not what they're about. Generally, it's about similar formulas, but different things. And what's done is done. And I know we've gotten a few, a few references with the Craig films specifically with Quantum of Solace, which 
is for me the weakest Craig by quite a margin. But you know, you've got the the guy falling like in the Spy Who Loved Me where he's holding him out there and you know where is he? Pyramids. You know, it's that, but in quantum. And then Agent Strawberry Fields gets covered in oil on the bed, just like Joe Masterson. Madison. Madison? I'm not sure. She gets covered in gold paint and is splayed out on the bed in a similar fashion. But even though the gold reference, the gold finger reference was beautiful and disturbing in its own way, still think it's a little totally wrong for bond there's a there has to be a great emotion behind it i think that for example the use of we have all the time in the world in no time to die makes total fucking sense and i love it i think it's sweet and it has a different meaning it's not just remember that thing it's Oh, we're giving this new significance and it's significant on its own without it needing to be. Oh yeah, remember On Her Majesty's Secret Service? And one of the best Bond relationships with the character that Diana Rigg played, R.I.P. So anyway, the Halle Berry thing with the, look, it's Ursula Andres, but now it's Halle Berry. It, it's, it's also not just that they're doing it, it's the way that they're doing it. You know, the camera's slow and it's da, 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 da. Oh, and then she walks up to the the shoreline and Bond's looking with binoculars. It's it's like a it's like a beer commercial making a or paying homage to Bond. Because if you think about in Dr. No, it was it, it was just Ursula Andres walking up on a beach. There was no slow motion camera. It was, and then she was just going, underneath the mango tree, my honey and me. She was singing it. There wasn't this overindulgence of, of gawking at her. You know, it was just, oh my God. And almost, and it was, and that was, that's what made it work is that Sean Connery is so surprised to see it. You know, the last thing he expected was, this gorgeous person to emerge from the ocean like Venus. And it's just a little tonally bizarre here. I think the movie lose, actually, you know what? I think the movie lost its way for me when he met Halle Berry, actually. Unfortunately, you know, I'm not here to rag on Halle Berry. I just, I find that the movie got overtaken and loving itself, <laughs> loving that it's a Bond movie too much without just being a Bond movie that we would fall in love with. And the style took over the substance. And at this point, there's no... There's nothing else for James Bond to discover. You know, he's not at any at any point after this, is he disconnected from MI6? At no point after that, not really. At no point after this do we feel that he is 
a bond that's losing his touch or that has to really work to find, you know, resources to sustain his mission without the help of MI6. He's just, you know, back to, back to business. And the business is less interesting, which I won't overly go into, but we've already talked about my problems with Zhao and, you know, I could go on about my problems with the Halle Berry character is that she's, she's almost a parody of a James Bond girl in a Bond movie. In other words, she's, this performance I think belongs in an Austin Powers movie and she would have been fabulous in an Austin Powers film. But it's, it's too mannered. It's too posy. It's, it's Skynet. Holly <laughs> Berry is too self-aware. And so she acts her way right out of the film. And therefore we're not connecting with her because she's playing the idea of a Bond girl instead of just being like, who is Jinx? If, if I ask somebody who says that they're a Jinx fan, I would just be curious about what character traits they would say. Um, think about the the best Bond girls that we've had. Waylon, for example, a much better version in another Pierce Brosnan film of the equal to Bond in terms of secret agent ability. Waylon is not, is decidedly not James Bond. She's different. She's very professional. She has a strong moral compass. She is competitive she has a certain style to the way that she fights that is a part of her upbringing that's been refined by years of training she's you know she has a particular incognito way of going through her investigating much more so than bond and yet there are some equal parts to bond where she's she's equally able to spar with him verbally on and on an intellectual level and she's also quite capable of goading her villains just like he is to kind of rile them up as she does with elliot carver on the ship and in his um saigon building but halle berry's more unformed because i think it was just let's have a female james bond but whereas they gave specificity to Wei Lin, they don't give specificity to Halle Berry. And, I'm, and I feel bad for her for that, honestly, because it's not like she couldn't have played that. We just need to learn more about Jinx because she's, we, I mean, there's some things that come out, like she's, she's e equally sexually possessed as Bond. But what do we see her do? We see Bond do all these crazy things. And we kind of just see eventually when, when she's doing her spying, we see her posing with a gun and she repels down a rope. She gets captured once. She gets captured twice. And we finally see her do some fairly cool things on the helicopter, or excuse me, the plane scene at the end, but it's a little too late. You know, by the time we see Wei Lin do her fucking kick-ass action scene, she's already done a fuck ton of shit that's awesome. And and especially by the end scene on the submarine. And Wei Lin gets captured on the submarine twice. And it's, and, and 
Bond gets captured. They save each other. It's it's it just felt a lot clearer. And also it yeah, Waylon was professional and she was actually less interested in dating, less interested in sex than Bond and you know all these things and at the end they finally I mean, mind you I'm I'm talking about that a lot as you can tell because I'm it's just more interesting than what is going on here. Is it competitive between him and Jinx? Is it a Batman Catwoman situation? No reference intended, as we know Halle Berry played Catwoman. I, I don't know what they're trying to do, and it feels totally confused. So lack of clarity can ruin a character. Also, why diamonds in a bullet? This is sillier to me than a golden bullet with 007's number on it i mean this is this is next level and, and i wish we this guy is cool i i he's got that um topple thing where he's he's this gruff older guy that is from a different who represents a different culture that is from a different part of the world that can bring new things into bond's life and lives on the edge and lives differently than bond but they they connect in some ways we should ex explore this a little bit more spend some more time in cuba never meet halle berry and never go to the clinic i don't know <laughs> oh samantha bond what a great money penny now that i think about it they even restrict m in this movie because rather than having the conflict be about M and Bond, it's about M and Michael Madsen. And why? I don't, it, because th this is another thing. You have to ask your movie why there is this conflict. Is there a larger scale drama that's between America and Britain? If so, great, but there's not, there's nothing, none of that is in this movie. So it doesn't need to be here. That's Roger Moore's daughter, I, I think. Luckily, I asked for a chicken. That's great. I love that line. And I, I have to say that it's, I've, I've always misinterpreted this song because I first heard it here and it sounds very upbeat. I mean, it's, it's exciting. The plane's landing. You see exciting stunts in just a second here. Rosamund Pike is looking fierce. And it, it's actually not about welcome to London. Oopsie. It just goes to show when you, <laughs> you're not thinking about your choices. Why would you put this in the movie? It's the wrong, it's the wrong choice. But at any rate, I mean, I was, I was talking to my friend Preston, who's a wonderful musician and I, I talked about how much fun that song is. And it is a fun song, but I talked about what I I, <laughs> I thought the song meant. Because of this movie, I had it mixed up and I felt quite stupid by the end of it. So anyway, I'm not and I'm I'm not saying there's a right or wrong way to interpret the song. That's for you to decide. Just do your research. And sometimes when you watch a movie and there's a song in it, understand that you may have an association connected to the images happening alongside the song and that's not bad that's intended but listen to the song too you know and and form your own images and then see what the dialogue is because when you sit with london calling it 
it takes on a deeper meaning than this movie implies that it has. Also, I think that Toby Stevens is a wonderful actor. He just didn't need to be in this movie in that context. I think if you're you're setting up the the North Korean threat, it's fine to have Toby Stevens in this film as a villain, but just have him be like a greedy bastard or something. Maybe he's selling secrets or funding North Korea's revolution for ulterior motives and Bond catches wind of this. I think that's fine. Totally cool. But don't make him a literal whitewashing. That That's so silly. Also, I, I will say I don't understand why Madonna gets so much flack for being in the movie. I mean, honestly, I think her greater sin is the, the song itself, not for what it is, but for its implications and its implementation. I think that, um, you know, in this particular performance is fine. I mean, she's in it for one minute and who cares? You know, she, he, Bond meets all kinds of ladies along the way to his main ladies. We're running out of water, folks. A dangerous moment. I love you! Oh, best part of the film. Rosamund Pike. And what's great is that they actually build her character here. They actually take more time to set up who she is and what how she relates to fencing than they do about Graves. I mean, yeah, we have the earlier moment where all the reporters are fawning over Graves and asking him stuff, but in in general, all the stuff that comes later with Miranda Frost means a lot more because we had those moments of seeing her kick his ass and we have her on our minds, you know? She's, she feels significant. And if she feels significant, it's a good thing because it turns out she will be. I think their chemistry is pretty good. Toby Stevens and Pierce Brosnan. Very, very much. I'm gonna, I'm gonna kick your ass and be the better version of this British aristocrat playboy. And that could have worked if they actually both were, you know, European playboys. One of them is not. So honestly, a lot of this is very enjoyable. This whole entire London part is great if you divorce yourself from the twist. <laughs> I mean, in this, this entire fencing sequence is amazing, amazing. However, what it's doing is playing out the rivalry that they'd established for Moon and Bond at the beginning. And yes, it's playing out here, but we don't know that. So it doesn't feel, you know, that significant, but we've seen this before. I mean, it could have worked on its own just as a way for us to introduce Bond's competitiveness with this villain. And then, and that is what's going on for, that's how Pierce is playing it right now. 
So ultimately it works. I'm, I think I'm just complaining to complain. I, I think it's just because I know what's coming that makes this kind of get deflated, but I'm actually going to just focus on enjoying this fencing scene. I do think it's one of the few things about this movie that's actually stupendous. And it's fun and silly, but it's, and, and now that I think about it, I'm, I'm wondering if we should have had a few more scenes. I just think we get here too quickly. Here's the thing. It's all about what you've built to with these Bond movies. And if you haven't, it, and Die Another Day feels like a series of movies, a, a series of short movies strung together. It's not greater than the sum of its parts. That's, it's, it's only its parts. And this part is good, but it's not necessarily connected to the film that I was talking about loving before, where it's grizzled Bond using his resources and allies across the world and eventually building up to this, where he's, and that, and actually that would have been a much more intelligent arc is seeing Bond go from grizzled to all the way to the top of the erudite food chain and facing off against graves without the help of MI6. So again, this is all just good on its own, but it's a movie. So that's why a lot of this just feels kind of disconnected and you're not really emotionally invested, but this is all super well choreographed and, and, and just the, the way this is set up and shot, because again, we talked about the hovercrafts not being that exciting because hovercrafts move in a way that you have to compensate for this one. You don't, you can just set the camera up in different places and have them do things like that where they're dodging certain weapons being thrown at them there see like that it's not jump 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 it's jump action take the thread jump action jump cut action action and if you think about the pacing it feels like a sword fight ba 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 in other words the choom choom switch and switch of the editing it's trying to catch up with the pacing of their fight and not the other way around. And the camera's positioned in different locations to get the best shots of their struggle. And that's what's also so great is we see Bond getting bloody. We see Pierce Brosnan's face struggle. We see Toby taking tumbles, um, making things worse for Pierce. That's the best parts. Or those are the best parts. And yeah, I just want to congratulate the filmmakers on an amazingly executed scene. It seems to be Mr. Bond. Again, Toby Stevens, he has a wonderful, wonderful talent. And he's, oh my God, I didn't even realize I was attracted to him because I, I think this role is so soured for me. But I, he, I think he narrates from Russia with Love. I, don't quote me on that. He narrates one of the Bond movies. I've listened to them all. One of the Bond movies. He narrates one of the Bond books by Ian Fleming. In case you didn't know, it's an Ian Fleming joint, this character. And his voice is so velvety and so delicious. It couldn't be more different than my voice. 
<laughs> I love his voice so much. And I was and I was listening to that going, man, there was a great Bond villain in this guy. And they kind of set it up here. And then they and this is the problem with this movie. They they take it away. They they always set, they set these great things and then they don't give them to you. It's like going waking up to empty presents on Christmas morning. They set up this rivalry and then all of a sudden, well, I hope you enjoyed being in London with, you know, this this kind of like Thunderball-esque setup where Bond's staking out the villain's hideout and building up this rivalry. No, we actually have to take the previous movie that we thought we were giving you away and give you more of Bond with every gadget under the sun. So, like, forget about what we did. If anything, this should have been the last thing that happens before the final showdown at the airport, which, I, again, I've already mentioned a little bit. I have my own feelings about, but we really shouldn't. This should have been building up, you know, less Michael Madsen fighting with M over some bizarre communication problem between countries and more of this more Judy Dench struggling with Pierce and they and they did that down the road didn't they with they kind of did it with every single Craig until she you know leaves the series and they really really could have done it here and I'm gonna, I'm gonna just say it. Every single gadget is wrong. Every single gadget is a is an Austin Powers gadget. It's it's Joel Schumacher doing Batman having ice skates. It's just a whole different universe. So yeah, this is it is kind of now that I'm thinking about it, the the editing of the Madonna scene at the beginning or the Madonna music video, it's actually perfect. Blurry, every single, you know, the, it's diffracted in all of these different places and it's hard to see and moving images spliced and we'll give you something else. I mean, that, that is this movie. It's far too many movies fighting for a place. And oh my goodness. I'm just realizing that this is the Spider-Man 3 of the Pierce Brosnan Bond era. Spider-Man 3, of course, being the only other commentary at this point that I've done for the series. And it has problems. It has problems of identity, just like this movie does. Once again, Pierce Brosnan and Judi Dench are phenomenal. And see... That could have even been the final line of the movie. Which again, they kind of do with Skyfall. You know, they do like a a thing where M puts papers on the table and he goes, yep, much to do. Ready to get back to work? And Bond says, with pleasure. So it's sort of an echo of it, but an echo of it. But in Skyfall, it's more tonally significant because... There's build up and build up and build up and build up that everything is leading to that. And then boom, that line hits. Also, this sequence, once again, thrust into an entirely different movie. And for what? This is this is the equivalent, the James Bond equivalent of the Twilight Saga at the end. 
<laughs> I realized that. Where all of the vampires are pushing forward. <laughs> and then they get into this huge fight and all of the characters that you've come to know over the series, quote unquote characters, they all get their heads blown off or <laughs> they get eaten by werewolves or something. <laughs> They're crumbling into icicles. It's a fucking farce. I mean, this is, I know it's not like so egregious because it's not that long, but ultimately what did it serve? What did it serve? We get it. He's at the Q lab. First of all, what kind of digital animation was that? If that's supposed to be a simulation, I don't believe it. I don't, it's too, it's too good. I'm sorry, Q. I don't believe that you made that. So it just feels like magic science. And if there's a pair of glasses that you can make anything happen with, it just, it just dilutes its significance. Once again, you know, with this jetpack and everything else, oh, the shoe, the shoe from from Rush with Love, the crocodile from Octopussy. Remember, 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 remember. Those aren't those aren't even Pierce's bonds. You know, it, it, this movie is trying to give us what we've had before. In any other bond, it would have been, let's go to the Q lab to see what we haven't had before. You know, we're working on this thing. And yes, I get it. You're going to the old place and here's all the old relics. And but it's mm, I get it. It's supposed to be totally significant. You have to go into the past. I've heard of this place. Never thought I'd find myself here. Am I a relic? I mean, it, it's sort of there, but it's mystified. It's mystified because in this scene in particular, the execution is off. First of all, John Cleese is not anywhere near close to being as good as Desmond Llewellyn. I think that if you're going to go for Gritty or Bond, maybe you just skip this entire scene. I mean, honestly, this entire scene could just be out of the movie and it could have just been, you know, Bond getting debriefed by M if it had to come at this moment. And then it's just a, you know, moving on. Because if you think about it, that could have also worked. Maybe M has decided that she isn't going to make an official mission for Bond. Maybe there's still red tape around Bond in general and people still don't trust him, but she does. And she makes the choice. No one else, not Q, not the other MI6 people. She keeps it a secret and has Bond meet her. And they decide together to finish the job. I could have seen that. So once again, the car that is totally invisible, it just doesn't feel real enough. That's always the thing about the, ga the gadgets in these movies. They may be unrealistic, but there is a semblance of reality to them. You can rationalize their reality. This scene is amazing, by the way. I love this scene. I, and I honestly could have seen more of this where if you cut the Jinx character from the film, you could have seen almost two stories going on at the same time because, again, Jinx's character is more of an idea of being a Bond girl or, excuse me, a, a female James Bond. Rosamund Pike could have been a younger, newer, James Bond. Again, we find out double agent, all that stuff. But 
you could have been building, building, building this character because we're, we already have our attention on her because she was introduced very well and she's performed very well and she seems to carry herself with a sense of importance. And it would have been really interesting to see how this other bond makes choices. So you could have even, I know that it's hard to do with with this double agent, but more scenes of, we don't maybe we don't see her like with the Jinx character doing stuff on her own, which by the way, we don't really usually see. We see villains killing people. We see the MI6 people having their meetings and talking about the problem. Yes, we see government officials. Yes, but we don't really see other people's adventures. Again, unless they're the villain doing bad shit. So we don't leave Bond too much. In other words, in, in none of the other movies are we spending X amount of time with Felix without Bond being there. So I'm not sure if they're going to do a parallel story. First of all, choose, even if Jinx is in this movie, I don't care who they do it with, Miranda Frost or Jinx. You don't, you don't want to just leave Bond and get distracted from what he's doing by going, okay, now it's the Jinx adventure or now it's the Miranda adventure. But I, I do think that more interactions between M, Miranda, and Bond is a better setup for drama. Because ultimately, what is the, if we're, we're here for drama, what is the drama between Pierce Brosnan's Bond and Halle Berry's jeans? I am silent because I don't know. They're generally playful. They may bust each other's balls, but it's always very much in good fun. They're working together seemingly from the get-go. Sure, that's great, but it's not a buddy cop film. You know, that if, if Jinx is going to be that, then we need more scenes of them bonding and getting to know each other. Like in Tomorrow Never Dies, hence why. Waylon is better. So what I'm thinking is, you know, you've got Miranda, James, and M. James being the most reckless, Miranda being the one who's younger, more inexperienced, but seemingly trying to build a good reputation with M, much more so than Bond. So Bond is like the, the problem child and Miranda Frost would be the the child that's perfect, right? And then and that's great for for Roseman Pike because she is this kind of perfect British British creature, and and there, but there is this coldness that she's infusing the character with. So it's this it's almost too perfect. And even though Bond is rough around the edges, we see that strange triangle play out for more scenes, and then when the turn of the screw happens and you go, oh, shit, that's why. The golden child isn't, you know, the golden child isn't the golden child. The, the rough around the edges child isn't the black sheep. Bond is the hero. And not that we're surprised by this, but to see it play out, it's a, 
it's more of a C. We want to be there with Bond when he. Also, what an interesting shot that was. <laughs> I've always thought about that moment. It's it. She's blurred out. We see. Is it like a clue? Where we see Miranda Frost walk behind Holly and just stare her down. I mean, it's it's Sophia Loren staring at James Mansfield and then some. It's Betty Davis versus Joan Crawford. I mean, oh, fuck, man. She was shooting daggers, this woman. And and you and, and I'm going to be honest, based on what I was saying. Also, they're totally fucking gay. Uh, <laughs> I would watch. Also, what's going on with this face? He didn't have those. What is that? Is that like he's transforming again? I don't know. I'm I'm curious. I'm derailing myself here a bit, but I've always wondered why he has scars. Is it the scars that he has as Moon that are like coming through? Because if he's gonna have this, you gotta you gotta justify why it's there here and not there when he's going brighten this night with our inner radiance. Which I guess he hasn't. Wait, has he done that? I'm losing track. No, he hasn't done that. But we've seen, but we we did just see him. It wasn't too long ago when he, I think he, the last thing we saw when he goes, plenty of time to sleep when you're dead. I don't think he had that. Anyway, so see the, the competitiveness we see play out with Jinx and Miranda. There's, there's one too many characters here. That, the thing that we don't care about is the competition between Miranda and Jinx because this is a James Bond film. It should have been a competition between Miranda and Bond or if they, you know, the producers wanted to do, which honestly, I would have been down for if they wanted to do an Austin Powers-esque. See, it's gone now! Is it just to imply that he's putting makeup on to be more, like, to have a cleaner complexion? I don't know. And, and win people over? I'm not sure. Anyway, if they wanted to do a Halle Berry vehicle, a, a spy vehicle, where she is a lot more Austin Powersy and it's more of a satire, I think do that. I think write, an, write it for a completely different character. Honestly, Jinx needs to be not in this movie in the form that she's in is my entire point. And I think people are way too harsh on Halle Berry because it's not that it's not that she was wrong for this kind of character, it's that that character is wrong for this movie. It's very very similar to Denise Richards as Dr. Christmas Jones in like a Naked Gun movie. Her performance is perfect. Just not in the Bond film. Just not in the world is not enough juxtaposed to Sophie Marceau and Robert Carlyle. No. Judy Dench. You're in a movie with Judy Dench. Come on. Come on, Denise. Anyway, unfortunately, yeah, two of the American actresses from, from the Brosnan era play some of the worst, two of the worst Bond girls ever. With our inner radiance. 
I also think that there is something about the characters in this movie that feel like lesser versions or diluted versions of what has come before. In other words, all of them have formed from tea bags that were in previous movies. So I feel as if Miranda Frost, as much as I love her character in this film, is a little bit of an Alec Trevelyan. It's a similar, it's an Alec-Electra hybrid, but more Alec because it's a, an old, it's a betrayal from somebody that you're working with, not a, you know, a, a person that you were trying to protect. It's obviously very, it's more of a, um, a Felix going bad than a, a Felix that you're sleeping with, of course, than a, a Tracy Bond from On Her Majesty's Secret Service going bad, which is what Electra was. But anyway, it's a, both betrayals, first of all, you've done it twice in the Brosnan era, so yeah, do it a third time. It's, it's got to really hit home. And we don't get a whole lot. Again, all the scenes are great, but there's nothing really leading up to us going, oh man, Brosnan got betrayed by Pike. Because it's not like with Electra or Alec, where it's been established that there is value and importance, whether by them talking about it with other characters or seeing it actually play out. There's an alarm outside. This gadget is stupid. It's an electric arm. I, and all of the visible electricity is just so silly. It's so silly. It's a thing you can't do. You can't electrocute people. So don't do it. You know, like if you're, that's the thing you should ask yourself in the Bond movie. Is this something that I can do? And if you can't, then don't do it. I think that a Bond film has to only have really subtle visual effects. When the whole thing is the effect, you gotta make another choice. And the Bond formula is perfect for making other choices. Consult with stunt teams, consult with practical effects artists. See what crazy things people have been doing. I don't know what the, I don't know what the internet was doing at the point, but see what people have done online that's really badass. Fucking free running, you know? The Bond series loves to take what's popular and do something with it. This is pretty hot, I have to say. I like them together. It's a, again, it's very, it's sexy in a way because he is her. In a lot of ways, the, I know that the public goes, eh whenever Bond is a lot older than his co-stars and certainly Pierce Brosnan is very much Rosamund Pike Sr. But with the right script, it'd be kind of hot. I mean, because she's so capable and self-assured and pretending to be seduced and pretending to make him think that he's the big man on campus. She is in control the entire fucking time. It's actually quite empowering. And to see her kind of use him for her own pleasure and seduce him with his pleasure of her it's it's such an interesting dynamic and and it could even be almost like a really epic money penny situation you know almost like what we had with skyfall and the fabulous naomi harris opposite daniel craig where it's a 
oh wow i'm i'm not you know it's i can't take i can't can't take control you know it's as if if she could have been married goodnight with all the agency in the world that would have been fucking fabulous and this is a very i mean a beautiful set i love this set because it has just that touch of fantasy this is when you can tell that the fantasy is working because you could conceive of a nice palace like this and you can and then and the music feels like icicles that doom, 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 dropping icicles and the the subtle of the fire it's it's so ooh, it's just and the and the mist on the floor ah oh, i mean so romantic the the bond films people forget how how deeply romantic they can be sometimes i mean casino royale alone all the stuff that you know goes on with vesper it, it, it's in its bones it's nothing that the film series should run away from again i i don't know there's a a, a cypher character versus a character that has been set up in a confusing way versus a character that's totally impractical it all this this is great i love this this scene in a montage is i want to see the movie around this is where Miranda is in bed and there's an understanding between them of we have a job to do and she's as immersed in the MI6 world as he is and it's just be careful here's your gun I mean that oh that's so bond and what a and what a great um use of lighting there too to create the shadows on her face when she turns so good um hmm Oh, I don't want to. Mm, this is painful to watch. What if this had happened? What if this was in a Daniel Craig movie? It just made me, or a Sean Connery movie for that matter. It just—it's a man with a with an electric arm touching a woman on her tits, and she's in in crazy electric currents, not unlike the effects of her storm powers are coursing all over I, I just and also this is a very 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 diluted version of the goldfinger scene again happening to somebody who isn't bond and if you really want her to be bonds equal we need to see her do more before she's like this right if, the, if at this point, Wei Lin, if, if something like this had happened to Wei Lin, we would have gone, huh? But when Wei Lin gets captured for the first time, Bond also gets captured and they'd work together to escape. Bond and Jinx have not worked together on fucking anything at this point. And we're more than halfway done with this fucking movie. Like this is reaching its, uh, Bond's about to save Jinx, blah, blah, blah and expose the plot, which also, by the way, diluted, diluted, diluted Trevelyan in the form of Moon. Oh, he was not dead. Pull the other one. You did it already. What are the other diluted characters? I think that 
the Michael Madsen character is a bizarre a, a bizarre placeholder for Jack Wade. I, I, I mean, they're doing different things and it's more of a, it's an M opposite number, not a Bond opposite number in America, which is Jack Wade. But I don't understand why we needed that character. I would have honestly liked to see more Robinson. Colin Salmon is a fabulous fucking actor. If 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 M needed somebody to go with her to London, well, I guess they reside in London, to go with her to find Bond when she does, take fucking Robinson. They've, they've established that, you know, his greatest support other than Money Penny, who, you know, maybe it's Money Penny also, but they don't really have that relationship as far as I know. It's, it's, it, they're a little less close than the Lois Maxwell Money Penny is with the Sean Connery or Roger Moore Bond for that matter. You know, for example, when they're, you know, we don't see them. Ooh, you never take me looking to, uh, take me to dinner looking like that, James. Oh, the only kind of gold I know is the kind you wear. You know, on the third finger of your left hand. They don't really have that relationship. It, in Goldeneye, it was more of a, a playful rebuff. Tomorrow never dies. Too fleeting. And she kind of goes, eh. It's more of a shirk-off. In other words, they it's always a mindful shirk-off. Maybe there's a moment here and there, you know, where she's on the phone in Toronto and Giants. James, where are you? I don't think they're necessarily close enough to substantiate her traveling uh, with him. But Robinson is, you know, the one that takes him in the helicopter to go find the bomb in the pipeline. He's talking to James and you know, making sure he's okay at the beginning of Tomorrow Never Dies. And it's on the screen in front of me. It's a Jeep in front of a plane. And I just think that Pierce Brosnan and um, Colin Salmon would have been more interesting, actually, as a pair than Jinx and Bond. I'm not saying, I mean, yes, I would love to see Pierce Brosnan and Colin Salmon together. I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying, you know, what you get from this, you could get with a Colin Salmon character. You could get from Robinson. The, the, the jinx thing is just, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. I wonder how many people were watching this moment when he says it belongs to another Korean and going, Ugh. or, huh? Because it's, it's not that it's hard. It's a hard plot to figure out. And plus we have the earlier scene of Zhao going, you're still suffering the side effects. You know, we, we get it, but it's almost so unbelievable that I don't know. I wonder if there were people in the theater. They're still like, what? Nah. <laughs> I remember feeling kind of like that. This is, these are some cool set pieces. I mean, this, this feels reminiscent of some of the earlier Bond movies, actually. Very Ken Adams. Um, just a little bit unreal, but practically designed so that everything in the room has a function or seems to function. This is, again, not bad acting by either actor. It's what they're performing, and it's just hard to connect. I like... I like that they have Pierce in a turtleneck here. This is the kind of thing that, for me, works as a homage. You know, we've had turtlenecks before. We, you know, this is 
like you only live twice. We have Sean Connery in a turtleneck. I'm not sure if Roger Moore, I can't think of a Roger Moore turtleneck. I'm sure he did wear one, but it's, it doesn't make a point of itself. In other words, you can watch the entire movie and miss the fact that, you know, Oh yeah, he's wearing his turtleneck again and it, it not be a big deal. But when it's, Oh, Halle Berry in a bikini. She looks great. Remember Ursula Andres, who also looked so great. Like, you can't... It takes you out. It takes you out. Also, Rosamund Pike is so good at not doing anything, which is why she's so good in this character. And, I, and I'm so doubly impressed because I think this was her first film. It was certainly so, so early in her career. And to have this presence is phenomenal. And you knew she was going to go far, and sure enough, she did. And she's <sighs> one of my queens. Yes, 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 yes. This is, you know what this is? This movie is... James Bond on ice and not just because you're in a nice palace. These are the paint by numbers Bond things that happen. Villain twist, betrayal by a femme fatale, big baddie henchman with something going on on his body. Usually there's something. It's not, I don't want to deformity. I don't particularly enjoy that term. But there's usually something, a very distinguishing feature or features. They go, oh, there's, you know, there's Jaws with his metal teeth, <laughs> you know. And I and and also the plot itself. Big laser beam in the sky. We're gonna blow up all these countries. I don't know. I would love to dissect that sometimes or sometime when, when somebody could sit down, like if, if Mr. Plinkett could sit down with Die Another Day and discuss why it feels like a paint by numbers experience who knows maybe i'll try and tackle that in an article sometime <laughs> i again in spite of myself i love this movie for just being a bond movie the boys over at james bonding say it best where they they basically admit a bad bond is better than no bond at all and a lot of things that you watch you go yep i'd rather be watching bond <laughs> it's just the way that it is so coming up here, we have once again, the mystique of Zhao that isn't mystique because unlike mystique from the X-Men movies, you aren't interested in learning more. It's not a curious case of misinformation or a specifically mysterious character. It's more just, we don't know how to feel about Zhao. We don't know what he does. We don't know how he functions. I mean, think about the, the significant baddies in the Bond universe. Ajah throws a hat. Jaws, already mentioned him. Bites down metal teeth. What does Zhao do? He, he has gadgets like 
bond? Why? What what has been established that he okay, the only car significance with the villain, first of all, again, isn't his. He's he, he's only villain by association. But even that car association is just that Graves, pardon me, Moon really loves hot cars. We have no reason to suspect that he's queuing the cars. So also I'm I got ahead of myself. I thought this was I thought that this was the car sequence where James Bond and Zhao have a car duel. <laughs> it's not that. Also I don't I don't think that this is a great sequence because Bond is in a computer game right now. It's too much. It's, it just, it just went, as Roger Moore said about this movie, I believe, don't quote me on that. I think he did. They just went too far. And that is the kind of thing where audiences say, I, I am no longer with you. They can suspend disbelief up to a point. And it's important to note that in, again, that Jinx movie that I'm pitching to you, which is more Austin, is, is definitively a satire, this scene works. And probably the, the thing would be shaped more like a penis. You know, and as it falls, you have to grip harder and harder onto it and you're slipping down it like you're sliding down a giant cock. You have to think about things like that when 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 you're establishing tone and this is not totally significant with anything else that we've seen. Also, there was a moment I, I forgot to touch on where Zhao says to bon, uh, to his henchman, he goes, kill him now. And then I think I literally think it's one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, four Mississippi. And then it's duh, 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 he got away. <laughs> like it's almost comedic. <laughs> you can't you can't set it up. Usually that kill him indicates something significant that's about to happen. There's a moment with the guards, like in Goldeneye, where Alex Trevelyan says, kill him. The man just won't take a hint. A bunch of snipers shoot machine guns at Bond and Italia and they fall all the way down the dome of the cradle. Significant. Also, I don't need to talk about that. It didn't work, right? And I feel as though it's your job to know that it doesn't work, but hey, if you, and maybe this is a, an instance of, I know that people reference this a lot when they're talking about editing significance and how sometimes you're backed into a corner with editing. They talk about the first of the prequel trilogy, the Star Wars prequel trilogy, where the ending was getting so convoluted with different tones, but they couldn't tell a cohesive story without including certain things. So you almost had to have it. So if you don't know how Bond gets back and you have already planned the shoot or maybe you've already shot it. I don't, I'm not sure what the conception was, but if that's the best they could do, for example, 
I empathize with all of the people making creative decisions that go, well, I mean, we have to make peace with it. We can't, we, we can't release the, the film without telling the story of how Bond falls off the cliff and gets back onto the ice. So poor creative team. I wonder how cohesive the decisions were on this movie. I wonder if things were structured in the production like you and you and you work on section A. You and you and you and you work on section B. And C and D and E. It just, it, it feels committee made. It feels like a school project. People in the ice work over here. The people in Cuba work over here. The people in North Korea work over here. This character, this character, you work over here on Graves, you work over here on Miranda, you know, and then they all came together to make something that's, again, this is a moment out of the Halle Berry Jinx movie that I am pitching where all of this would have worked because it's a joke. You wouldn't have this. Even the silliest gadgets. We saw one, the crocodile that is motorized served the purpose of hiding in the water so you could reach an island without being detected. Unfortunately, the scenario for needing an invisible car, less believable. Why would you need an invisible car? What? Why, why would you need it? And why would Zhao have these? Oh my God. See, very in And another thing about this movie, like I said, with Zhao and he says, kill him. And then it's immediate, it's immediately dissolved all that tension. What was the invisibility worth? One sequence, not even, that's not a sequence, one shot where a henchman rams into the car, flies off, and alerts Zhao to Bond's position. He's not even invisible right now. It, it's baffling. It's baffling. And this feels a little bit, again, it's Bond on ice. This would be the moment in the theme park where they'd show off the gadgets. The car show. The Bond car show. Woo! Get your popcorn. Get your tickets. But you don't care. Even in A View to a Kill, when, which is a very silly Bond film, when they hijack the fire truck, you're, you're, there are, there's a real reason why they are on that fire truck. And, and there are real stakes of what could happen if they do not survive that chase in that freaking fire truck. And I guess, I guess it just seems redundant here that Jinx is, an, is the damsel in distress again, already. And you don't think, you know she's not going to die. Because 
that's it's also sort of a math game at this point there's no tension because there's no other bond girl who can fill her role and we've seen bond film after bond film after bond film and again we know we have probably 15 more minutes bonds far enough away from the villain now that we the main villain that we know that there is going to be a final confrontation. So he's not going to go there alone because it's not, you know, 45 minutes into Goldfinger losing Tilly. So, and, and I, and I think that also there's something about the tone of her fighting, 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 fighting to escape and showing her, showing her, showing her, And also the fact that it's Halle Berry, you know what I mean? It's, I think it's also just, we're aware that this major, major actress, the biggest actress of her, of that time, I don't know her time, but that time, we know she ain't gonna bite it. I do like these practical water effects. It's, I mean, it's pretty cool. I, I like this set a lot and they could have done some really interesting things with it. It's, it's got that level of, well, okay. So I know I've mentioned this before, the fantasy, but Bond movies are meant, I think, to exist in our reality, but not quite. It's all about the level at which you play it. Too far and you make Austin Powers. Too little and you end up with Timothy Dalton's Bond. It's it you you have to give us because that's what we tune into. It's not science fiction. It's it's really um it's not or it's not spy fiction. It's spy fantasy. It's Star Wars. It's not Star Trek. You know James Bond versus Bourne, Jason Bourne. And this is also bizarre because it doesn't seem realistic that these cars could make their way around the ice palace this way because we were just we were in the ice palace and it just looks different you know i don't remember it being this spacious and it's it's so clearly designed for cars but the ice palace would be designed for people so cars fitting perfectly in the ice palace being able to maneuver perfectly in the ice palace takes you out so once again, that tension is dissolved. And ideally at this point, like with Xenia in GoldenEye, you would have had multiple occurrences where you develop how Bond relates to the henchmen and what it means to take them out. You've seen them do bad thing upon bad thing. In the case of GoldenEye, Xenia's killed over and over innocent people help the villains steal the weapon that's ultimately going to possibly end England as we know it. And so when he kills her and <laughs> ends with the quip, she always did enjoy a good squeeze. It's significant. There's nothing significant about fucking Zhao. That rings...
for if I had to pick one one gadget to keep from this movie, I, I wouldn't pick any, but if I had to, I would pick the ring. It's seemingly something you could have on any job. Sonic, a sonic blast, which I guess is what it is, seems, you know, it, it seems like something that could be helpful in a lot of scenarios. So it's not the, the old adage of, you know, wow, Q's a mind reader. He knew that you'd need a giant balloon in that avalanche. <laughs> he, he knew that you'd need a watch magnet to 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 pull that metal boat towards you, you know what I mean? So and this this is a nice moment on its own. I think Pierce plays it pretty well. You know, something that people forget about the Brosnan era is that he really wanted real relationships between him and his Bond girls. You know, he he was he pushed for Paris Carver in Tomorrow Never Dies to be a woman from his past. He pushed and pushed for leading ladies to move the story along and to be significant more than just sexy. And I and I applaud him for that. Here we are back at MI6 and we're about to meet the character that really should have been with Bond all along. Robinson, Charles Robinson. I mean, I know he's not an agent agent in the sense that Bond is, but could have been a helpful resource. And I'm getting into a little bit of, I'm gonna critique my own criticism at this point. I, I mean, I am just doing a commentary. It's not specifically criticism. I'm just talking mindfully about the movie, but I think we, sometimes detract a movie's significance too much based on what we didn't get when really great criticism for me is what did we get and why doesn't it work for us for its own sake not because it's not that other thing you know you need some kind of pickers I also think that Icarus as a plot device is is a <laughs> we're talking about everything else all the characters being diluted the weapon is a diluted golden eye golden eye much cooler cooler laser we have the tangible key you know we see it they talk about what it does they go into the science bit where M goes, you know, the Americans and Soviets, um, no, during the Cold War, blah, blah, blah. I read the brief, discovered after Hiroshima, it sets off any, you know, we, we build it up a bit. Um, just like with Raiders of the Lost Ark, any MacGuffin -y thing, any end all world destroy devicey Magoo, you gotta build it up so that we, we feel it. Icarus is an afterthought. What is the plot of this movie? It's, I want to stop Zhao and clear my name. I found Zhao. What is this uh, bullet filled with diamonds? Gustav Graves. All right. I'm going to go look at Graves. Is, Graves is connected to Moon. Okay. 
I'm going to go. I'm still trying to find out who betrayed me. I'm putting on a little demonstration in Iceland. The first, it's barely a thing. Hey, Icarus is, is happening. Come to, come to Iceland. <laughs> you know, he, he goes and even M's like, oh, it's just probably another publicity stunt. And then it, it slowly builds in significance to the point where GoldenEye was a thing from the get-go. They steal a helicopter. He he's tracking Xena or or watching, observing Xena, who steals a helicopter to steal the GoldenEye, which is the crux of Trevelyan's plan. What's leading the battle here? Plot or story? The plot of a Bond film is rarely more, more important than the story. I don't think I'm even using these this framing right, but what's happening for the character internally versus what is happening, actually literally happening, that moves the story along. along. The, the 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 story story the events of the story not the internal arc of the character those two things have to be going you know together but they're they're separate things even though they're interwoven it's like dna that's the dna of a a movie dino dna so with this it's just hard to know and and even that was a little too easy you know that they're there's no grit to them getting on this plane and also way too much cg and wow i think the interestingness of the set has gone almost completely away i don't i don't particularly like the design of these interiors it's it feels kind of warehousey kind of redo a room 500 times even if it's not that it feels generic and versus the for example the sub at the end of tomorrow never dies it, it felt felt like its own thing you know every everything sort of related to carver's darkness and the way that the metal was designed and the way that it looked echoed things that we had seen earlier. It was like being inside of a giant evil television. I don't have anything to say about this. I don't think anything works. This. What a waste of really some great actors. I mean, both Toby and this guy, don't know his name he's less famous at least in america oh, I, mean, I shouldn't talk about that when i don't really know what the fuck i'm saying but i'm saying of all the actors that are in this movie he's the one whose work i know the least so i haven't looked him up but also vlad what is vlad <laughs> that's the it's the deepest question that i've asked from the beginning is what is vlad is he funny? Is he is he supposed to be like a comedic relief character? 
is he supposed to be the Gupta? Mr. Gupta from Tomorrow Never Dies? But I don't know. I guess he could be a dark cube, right? If we're setting up Toby to be dark bond, maybe he has dark girl, dark cube, dark M, like all of the things that Bond has, but the dark version. That that could really work. But they already kind of did that with Alec Trevelyan and Scaramanga. And both were just much cleaner, much more interesting, more tonally sufficient characters. This is a little too much. What does it mean to be too much? It doesn't. It doesn't hit me. I think that's what it is. Because it's, it's an amorphous idea of, of heat. It's not insignificant. A giant laser in the sky. My brain is going. There's something about its laserness, the fact that it's the sun. Is it really? You know what I mean? A bomb is a bomb. We've seen it. We know it. It exists. That's a threat. It's like a poison or a gun. Speaking of guns. But it, is it really the power of the sun? I don't buy it. That's what it is. That's why I had to sit in silence, because I had to figure out what the fuck was going on. Also, something about Halle Berry in this. Look at this. There's a lightness to her. Like a like a, a pep. Where... They aren't allowing for things to feel realistic for her body size. Let me be clear. I'm not saying because she's a woman. I'm saying look at everything they do to let you know that Natasha Romanov can kick your fucking ass. It doesn't matter that she's short or that she doesn't have Chris Evans's broad chest. She will literally fucking kill you and she'll use her weight in unique and creative ways. She's faster. She uses her agility. Pierce Brosnan is a more imposing figure than Halle Berry. He's got height and a broadness to him where it's more believable that he could barrel through and punch and knock out with one punch. 
adjust it so that when Jinx does it, you go, oh, that's how she does it. That's cool. She has to knock people out slightly different than Bond or, or maybe she has a different tactic. She could be equally as strong, just in a different way. Just in a different way. Like I'm not, you, I, you couldn't do, treat me like I'm Bond because I'm not anywhere near as fit. So I would have to tell the producer, I'm like Halle Berry. I need to figure out other ways to make me seem like an intimidating, realistically competent agent. Is this a homage to Goldfinger? Where Pussy Galore is trying to keep the plane up. I think also with the laser beam, it's it's too much. You've said it's the sun. Like what what's about to happen, I mean? They're about to fly through the sun, according to the movie. And I don't buy it. I don't buy that they didn't just immediately blow up. I don't. Also, I always thought this, her, her outfit here was fucking crazy. Because what was she doing? Working out, I guess. But does she not have a job to do? She boarded this plane. Maybe she's taking a break. Maybe she's off duty. <laughs> I don't know. It is interesting. We've never seen her dress like this, even remotely close. Also, somewhere my best friend with a glove thing is freaking out. Somewhere. I can feel him. Thank you. Miranda Blossom. Sexy gloves on. She looks great. I'm just, it just seems like a bizarre, you, you have to justify these things. Whenever you give us something different, even if it's something as simple as look at this character, if it's not oh, surprise and it feels right to go, I shouldn't have known that. You got to tell us why or, or tease it. Give us a quick clip of maybe Bond passes through her room like an octopusy and we see him watch her like he did with Magda when Magda's drying her hair. And he goes, oh, there she is. You know, you could have seen Miranda training, fencing, working out, off-duty. Totally fine. But we don't see it. Also, again, this is where it gets... It focuses too much on Jinx. Because... Because she's fighting Miranda. For example, in Tomorrow Never Dies, it's a similar setup, just much less interesting... Wait, I'm sorry. It's a similar setup, but just much more interesting. This is much less interesting because Waylon is on her own little mission. Again, what I'm saying about Jinx, what they could have done, they already did it. You, you, they already did it right, because <laughs> you see her in little bits doing her own thing, and um, it doesn't feel wrong when you have five minutes of her fighting. It's not five minutes, but in in China where she's kicking. 10 henchmen in the butt, you know, knocking them out, fucking them up, which by the way is how you do action with somebody that's size like Michelle Yeoh. You have to just like, it's about her shot placement. 
It's about how fast she is. It's about how often she delivers blows and her skill, her level of, of martial arts skill, you know, that then you're like, oh yeah, it's total, it makes total sense that Michelle Yeoh is going to like totally dominate all these fucking assholes. By the way, everybody just watch everything Michelle Yeoh is in, everything. And right now, speaking of everything, go watch everything everywhere all at once right now, right now. Stop this commentary. Go watch it. Forget where it's streaming, but go find it. So the problem with this is that there's no tonal significance other than, okay, a snide look and a couple of moments that make it seem like there's a rivalry between them or a disdain. I mean, she does call her a bitch here, so disdain, obviously. And, you know, pretty warranted insult. But at this at this moment, we're, we're going, okay, who's this about? Who is this about? Who is this about? Who is this about? Think about all of the characters that bond has worked with in the craig series knew me excuse me know me or naomi harris's money penny or even what's her name eve from quantum of solace i don't think it's a particularly well-written part but if there's if there's something tonally significant about the dynamic between hero and villain, like with Eva. I, I can't think of her name. I'm going to just say Olga Kurilenko, because I, I do know the actress's name from Quantum of Solace, where she wants to kill General Madrano. It's set up at the beginning, like 15 minutes into the movie, and it's paid off at the end. That is fine. We don't get that from Miranda and James. It's just, it's, it's too impassing. Like, I just generally am going to, you know, be a little bit of a fucking bitch to you. There's nothing... General Madrano, if I understand it, killed Ogil Kurilenko's mother and father. Something. He ruined her life. So when that happens and she's the one who kills him, you go, ah. And also there's scene upon scene where she talks about that with Bond. It's similar to Melina. I think Melina is a more well-executed version of Olga Kurilenko's character. When you, in for, for Your Eyes Only, it culminates with her training the crossbow on Christatos. And you know why. You fully know why. It, because that movie from the beginning tells you, this is really Melina's story. Bond is a passenger. Bond is, is the forward momentum. He's, he's the detective. But she's the one that everything comes back to. And it's built into it from the beginning. It's not with it. There's not enough with Miranda and and Jinx, and and it just also kind of feels like, all right, here we got to have the girls fight, and the guys fight. It's distracted, and there's not again enough with Jinx and Bond to substantiate that. Whereas, I I, I can't remember, but I'm sure there are moments where. Captain America and Natasha Romanoff are doing separate things like in Avengers where I think she's trying to stave off the Hulk's advances and he's fighting something. I really don't remember, but that, that kind of works because they're just external threats. There's no arc that is being completed that is supposed to be equally significant. For example, in the Winter Soldier, the 
antagonistic relationship is between other people might be trying to stop him. Natasha certainly has encounters with him, certainly might be trying to stop the Winter Soldier, but it's about Cap stopping the Winter Soldier. So not to, I think this commentary is just being, it has just been me talking endlessly about a few things, <laughs> rambling about a few things, but there's just so much to say. Here it's kind of fun. But that's, again, it's more paint by numbers dialogue. These are the things that Bond characters would say, at least we're gonna die rich. It's almost like they're all they're in this moment it's so sad. It sounds it feels like they're the writers have created a scene where it's well, let's see who can get let's get as many again. This is in the Jinx movie that I am pitching that is Austin Powers-esque. The comedy of this scene is the two quippy actors going back and forth as much as they can for like before they die. In other words, while they're fixing the problem, like they're they're competing to have the best one-liner as they both use their humor to feel better about their impending doom. But that's not, again, it's compute. And then here we go. Another pointless scene that has not been set up, which I'm not even going to say on its own what it works because I can't, I can't abide anything that goes on with those glasses. I can't. I've played every Pierce Brosnan video game. I, from GoldenEye, uh, I, I, I really didn't play Tomorrow Never Dies. I didn't particularly care for it, but The World's on Up on N64, Agent Under Fire, Nightfire, and Everything or Nothing. I love them all. There are crazy gadgets, including, but not limited to, The Invisible Car. Nothing even remotely <laughs> competes with this. In Everything or Nothing, there is a virtual reality, and it's blocky and pixelated, very Tron-esque. I don't buy this for a second. There's too much. And, and when your audience keeps saying that about a movie, you've lost them entirely. Now in a in the Jinx movie, <laughs> in the Jinx movie that is set up by this you can have a pair of glasses where you put them on and anything happens. You can just project whatever thoughts you have into existence, which by the way, I do need a pair of these glasses. If that's the case, I will be seeing Pierce Brosnan very soon. Money Penny has the right idea. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, at this point, I need to prepare for the end and hold my lovely cheesecake. I, for those of you that are not listening to this on a visual medium, it's not a euphemism. I have a rainbow, soft, squishable cheesecake that smells like raspberries. And I love it. And it brings me peace. Some of the musical moments are okay in this movie. I mean, I like a lot of it. It's, it's just, this is similar to the music, if not the same as when they play, uh, when he and Electra skied. There's, there's not, there wasn't an imbalance in that scene because it was the beginning of their playfulness. It was 
a homage to on her majesty's secret service but it wasn't poking you you know in the face with it, it wasn't saying remember and this this dialogue is weird because this feels like it comes out of a place of questioning jinx the entire time and that wasn't what it was we had one scene where bond is confused by by her in cuba after they just meet and he goes huh and then he sees her drop down off the ledge and goes huh but after that pretty much it's it's clear and there's no question of jinx's loyalty It just feels like this could have been a lot better. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to this commentary and my mad ramblings. I just felt as this as if this movie needed a look because while I don't think it's particularly good, I think it's something that can really help filmmakers who are working on big budget action movies with many movies prior looking at die another day seeing what they did and making sure that they don't fall into the same traps i think this movie was under a lot of pressure and it had a lot of eyes on it and it was just ultimately trying too hard and not substantiating the moments that they were selling us and with that I think I'm going to go ahead and end this commentary. There's still a little bit of credit left. And I guess what I would like to leave you with in terms of a summary is Die Another Day is indicative of franchises that don't feel confident with who they are and what they, what they are bringing to the table. Because Die Another Day fell into too many homages. It was paint by numbers with its dialogue and its characterizations. And it felt like it had to go bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger because, and, and the way that we know that is they did things that they couldn't do. In other words, they set themselves up to fail and had to overcompensate with CGI. And if they were going to do that, they had to change the tone. Gritty Bond and Goofy Bond do not mix. And I think people conflate the problems of this screenplay and direction with Pierce Brosnan, and it's just not true because him having the grit and the gravitas of Connery and the charm and suave humor of Roger Moore and blending them together doesn't mean that what he brings to the table isn't valid. That's wonderful. That there's a nice, a nice subtle, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, that you can pull and ultimately put in a different package with Brosnan. And that's why he's my favorite bond. And that's why I think his first three films, again, underrated in my opinion, are truly, truly great. 
Thank you so much for tuning into the Queer to Queer cast. Watch more Bond movies. Let me know if you disagree. Let me know if you found my ramblings idiotic. Let me know if you are making movies and you want to show us your movies or come on the pod and talk about some work that you really like or work that you've done. Tis the season to be cinematic and make sure that you stay tuned to queertoqueerfest.com to check out our upcoming January festival. January 14th, our movies will be streaming for seven days. And just a reminder, sometimes it pays to be gay. Oscar Nunez.